Welcome to the Extreme Cinema Podcast. I'm Alexander Sternberg, and with me as ever is the beautiful Dom Loach. How you been, Dom? I'm good, thank you very much, Stanny. I'm looking forward to talking about some horrific stuff today. Horrific stuff. I uh, <laughs> I watched, ended up watching uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon from like 1973 after this last night, because I was like, <laughs> I, I need like a break. Let me watch some Japanese men in costumes hit each other. Yeah, I think this is... Well, we should probably say uh, today is Last House on the Left. And Last I think House it is on the Left. So far, the most horrifying thing we've covered by quite a margin. I was going to say the exact same thing, and I think it's really interesting because if you if you noted it down on paper, it's probably the least horrific. But fuck, it's an it's an effective movie. <laughs> this is uh, Wes Craven's directorial debut, and it was one of the most shocking infamous nasties of the time coming after very shortly after straw dogs came out and this made straw dogs look so tame in comparison absolutely and straw dogs is nothing to like batter (laughs) like straw dogs can be intense but this is something else completely like watching it i I love i love straw dogs but yeah watching it again i was so like oh my god this is intense isn't it i was glad my housemate wasn't in (laughs) while i was watching it it's such a fucking downer as well like i have written about this film academically and i've got like so much notes and stuff to talk about but i've seen this film like fucking seven or eight times in a very short period of time because i wrote at length about it and its historical importance and like i was just dreading watching it again like yesterday because i was just like it's just gonna bum me out and it it really just does yeah exactly i watched it two days ago i think now just before i went to work and i was like i don't know how to explain to people that i was in a bad mood because i watched a movie that i wanted to watch but it it was just horrifying (laughs) uh so um let's get into it i guess um what do we think of it? What do we think in terms of its its quality of filmmaking, I guess? I think it's a great film. Like, obviously disturbing and messed up in every sense of everything, but I think it's a fantastic film. Wes Craven is amazing. We all know he's an incredible director. And I think it does push a lot of boundaries, but it does it well. What do you think? I I agree sort of somewhat because I think it's a great film. I think it's an iconic film and I think there's a lot of substance in it. Um, but it's it's like Wes Craven going through film school, essentially. Like, I love Wes Craven stuff, but this is, in terms of directing, it's quite poor. It's a tonal mess. But oh, yeah. yet, it's still completely engaging sort of the the poor directing and the, the rather poor editing it, it it it's it doesn't really affect your viewing experience that much because there really is a sense that you're watching some scummy very brutally realistic dirty movie it's it's very very uh evocative and effective yeah that's what the thing i was gonna say like i think that poor directing and editing does kind of you kind of forget about it because of how visceral and in your face this film is and how like effective 
a lot of it is. I think Wes Craven just wanted to be effective, and he definitely pulled that off. Oh, God, yeah. A- absolutely. And the realism as well. I mean, initially, this was intended to be a hardcore film, and God knows who the hell would have watched that. <laughs> um, and then they just decided to cut the hardcore sex out very late into production. And it's got that sense of there is a camera person is there even a fucking microphone? It sounds horrendous. So, you know, there's just few people and they're going into some woods somewhere and just filming this horrible stuff. And there's not a whole lot of special effects. It's just quite good acting, especially from David Hess, who is fucking iconic. Yes. yes. Um, like, the blow your brains out. Blow your brains out. That's one of that is horror legendary, that bit. I think it, um, it's, like you said, it's, you can't even tell if there's a microphone, and you can tell, it's, it's that early, nasty experience that kind of makes the film almost what it is. Like, it's hyper-low-budget filmmaking as well, from back when that was very inaccessible. Yes, exactly, yes. And then you say, on top of that, a lot of the performances are amazing, so it almost feels like this you're watching a real horrifying thing. And obviously, you it's not like we talked last time where Megan is missing stuff. It, it, with the people which is the exact opposite, which is the performances are so bad, it takes you out of anything horrific. Exactly. That's, the, that's what I was going to say, yeah, where it's so opposite of this brings you in, even though you can tell it's so <laughs> badly done at points. The acting and the the performances and the things that they do in it just affect you so badly the bit where they're they're murdering her after the rape where you know they're stabbing her and blood spilling out that's just it's a horrendous shot like that that still image is like such a famous clickbait you know thumbnail for like most horrific films ever because that is a horrible image i mean the whole it's like a fucking half an hour of the movie, The Rape and Murder. And it's, it's just, it's horrendous. It is. It's but ve- I guess. It's very long. Like that whole, that pu- whole. Um, punishing. Punishingly long, yeah. But I guess getting into more of the aspects that don't quite work. I mean, yeah, the direct, the directing, it's really quite bad. The camera doesn't really know what to film. The shots don't look composed in the slightest, which kind of, like I said, adds to how how horrific it looks and how dirty it looks. But it's, it is very noticeable that no one really knows where they're meant to be. The editing is garbage, like yes. actual garbage at points. Um, and the biggest problem with the film is the tone. Like, I guess all the, like, jingles are meant there ironically, <laughs> but it doesn't work. And the Keystone Cops being in it is so baffling. <laughs> it's like one of those baffling movie decisions. That is, that is yeah, that, bit is, that is genuinely horrible. <laughs> Them as some kind of um, comic relief thing. Like, it's... It is, I guess the... I think that's the most broken bit about it, because I could excuse directing in tone, uh, no, sorry, directing and editing and, like, almost pass them off, but the tone is genuinely, like, all over the place, like you said. It, it, it's, it's yeah, in, like, a, a, a very weird way. I guess the kind of, the villains of the film, uh, 
it's sort of a take. This is kind of very much post-Manson America. That's uh, Charles Manson. Uh, not the other one. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> sort of... <laughs> and, you know, they're clearly it's clearly a take on, on that, like, kind of murder family-ish. It's just, when they're in the car and you've got this, like, jingle about them playing, you're like, what is going on? Oh, yeah. It's obviously <laughs> such a Manson, uh, Texas Chainsaw kind of thing going on, where that that like deadly family type thing that happened in so many of these films after the Manson murders like it, they it's so they became like the trope for a while basically didn't they like, they they did and, and natural born killers is a which we will talk about one day on the show is like a brilliant send up of that trope yeah yeah it, yeah um it's not just it's not just post Manson though this is so um, you know, post America is losing the Vietnam War and everyone is aware of it. Post Kent State, um, post Nixon or you know Nixonian America, it's so rooted in the fucking absolute cynicism of that time. Like this film, I mean, it wouldn't have come, um, sort of five, six, seven years earlier, because it's very much rooted in the kind of new Hollywood filmmaking, even though this is not, it's like an indie grindhouse film. But like, it's so, you just, this film, if it was like 10 years older than it was, it wouldn't have made any sense, but it makes so much sense coming out in 1973. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's, it's like the most nihilistic thing I've ever seen in my life. It's completely, that's why I'm like, you know, attacking the soundtrack earlier, but the, the the actual theme of The Road Leads to Nowhere is so good and makes complete sense. And why that's not over the end credits of the film, why it's that stupid jingle <laughs> remains so confusing. But it's, it, yeah, it's complete nihilism. Well, this is a kind of soft remake of Ingmar Bergman's uh, The Virgin Spring. Yes. Which yes. is also a rape revenge film and also the family are christian in there etc and it's it is taking that very dark scandinavian approach of everything is terrible yes yeah definitely it is that yeah that scandinavian look at the world where it's um this is horrible (laughs) and, and like everything is terrible and there's not much good happening um, and that the aesthetics, as we were saying earlier, like the main reason I think that's so punchy and horrendous and it's just so real is that it was really inspired by uh, footage, news footage in particular of the Vietnam War happening. So you've got, they're transposing the violence that everyone was seeing nightly on the news in, you know, the Vietnamese jungle and putting that in a kind of all American woodland setting. Yeah, yeah, it's literally taking like that historical context and showing it into an American point of view. And completely, and there, there are two in particular images that are really uh, striking on this. Um, well, one actually before that is the symbolism, which this film has actual symbolism in of, the, does, yeah. of the peace ne- uh, of the peace necklace. Yeah, yeah, the peace symbol. You know pretty much, you know, hard-coding that character as sort of being representative of, like, the young radicals and whatnot. But the two bits that are, are really... You can see what they're doing is, one, there's a shot when 
the other woman is escaping and running away. And it is, it looks like the very famous napalm girl photograph of the Vietnamese child, you know? Yes, I never even put that together, actually, you know, but now you say it. Yes, yeah. It's that, and when David Hess is about to execute Mary after the rape, when he holds his hand out with the revolver, that is also the very famous photograph of the uh, execution of the Vietnamese prisoner, or photograph, there's film of that. Yes, I know the one, yeah. Um, and you're trying to really shock the audience, trying to essentially kind of put them through a Vietnam War, but at home in America. And that's why this film is so fucking punchy and timely and was is so shocking and is actually worth, like, discussing so much. That's the thing. I think this is one of those nasties that is worth discussing more than almost anything. Because of that, what Craven did with equating this to the Vietnam War and putting it in a historical context to be like, how fucked up that entire thing was and trying to make people understand. It's certainly, I mean, Possession has kind of a a little political thing going on, even though that's more about a relationship. Yeah. But yeah, this is definitely the, the, the most hardcore, politically motivated nasty there was. Like, by a mile. It, it's so weird as it's... well, because um, Craven, kind of, has he ever really done anything else like this? Like... Uh, the Hills Have Eyes the Hills have has was, a kind of political yeah. meaning behind it. So that was... Uh, but after that, I don't think so. Because he went very horror comedy, didn't he? Well, Scream, that's... um. I mean, okay, I guess I guess we'll talk about where, where's Craven now. Um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, there's... The best eulogy I saw of Wes Craven after he died a few years back, which I don't quite agree with, but regardless, is that most directors would kill to have reinvented horror once. Wes Craven did it four times, and I think (laughs) saying New Nightmare reinvented horror is a bit of a push, but he certainly reinvented it three times, with Last House on the Left, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then Scream. Yes, definitely. I mean, as you know, uh, Scream is my favourite horror of all time. I think it's... Utter fucking love screams. Genius. And then obviously Nightmare on Elm Street's iconic. But this is so just unlike anything. And it's different. insane that it's his first film as well. Like it no, I can believe this is his first film. This strikes me so hard as a director who is intent on provoking, not making anything that he cares about being kind of acceptable or not, and working within absolutely no money. It it does it strikes me as a first film. It's just the intelligence Wes Craven clearly has, which is so apparent in Scream and Nightmare as well. Nightmare doesn't sometimes get the credit it deserves. Um, it's just so on display here. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, yeah, that that's more what I meant when I said um, it's crazy it's his first film just because Wes Craven is so clever at what he does. Like, the theme in more than anything else around Last House is what makes it so iconic and so good. I guess, yeah, we talk sort of like this early Craven is very politically inclined and then later he gets more into kind of deconstructing the kind of films he made earlier with Scream and New Nightmare. Yeah, definitely. Really get into that. Um, And also, um, it's it's not just Wes Craven. I mean, this is Sean Cunningham produced it who went on to make the Friday 13th film and some other slashes. It's not, he's not quite as noteworthy a filmmaker as Wes Craven, but it's just very interesting to see 
not only where they started, but how well they were accepted. Because in researching this, I found uh, something amazing, which shocked me more than anything in this film, is that Roger Ebert fucking loved this movie. Oh, what? Roger Ebert, the man who said, I spit on your grave is the worst movie ever made, gave this 3.5 out of 4 stars and received many angry correspondents after recommending the film. That's so weird for Ebert, because he was so... He hated all of these kind of films, really, didn't he? He, I guess this is because he hated slasher films except for Halloween and would keep bringing up how Halloween has artistry, but obviously none of the other ones do. <laughs> Granted, Halloween has more artistry than pretty much every other slasher film. Yeah. But like, I guess this is the rape revenge equivalent of that. Because he said it's four times better than you'd expect. There's like an air for nuance at, in the dialogue and that it's it's horrific in the correct way. And... I, I, I agree. I mean, he, he likes it more than I do, which is fucking insane. That is crazy, yeah. I've never seen the Ebert review on this, and I've seen a lot of Ebert reviews. Mainly because... I really wish I... I when he usually do did this type of thing, I, I'd just hate the reviews. <laughs> I wish when I was researching this for my dissertation, I, I, I bothered to look at the Ebert review. And also, Pauline Kael fucking loved it as well. She said, it's undoubtedly the best movie ever made in Pittsburgh. It's one of the most gruesome and terrifying films ever made. And this is what she says, which I think is so astute, is that even the flatness of the amateurish acting, the unfunny attempts, well, I don't agree with the acting, the unfunny attempts at campy comedy somehow adds to the horror. And I'm like, it kind of does. The roughness of the film really does make that. This is what makes the film the most intense thing we've watched so far. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. It's just watching it over any of these other ones. It's like, it's that irreversible, which we'll talk about at some point as well. It gives me the same feeling as that. Just intense. I I was thinking the exact same thing when watching it, that like, maybe the only other time I've been this like horrified at what I'm watching was irreversible. Yeah, and I think that does come with the the context as well of obviously it's... um, horrifying rape like which doesn't even happen in many um good nasty films it happens in a lot of shit ones but it doesn't happen in many good ones and i think to do that good it has to be horrifying well yeah this is a good a good have you ever seen savage street starring linda blair uh no i've not no so it starts out as this pretty fun like high school romp Definitely, like, cheap. Definitely, you can tell it's going to get a bit exploitative. And then out of fucking nowhere, there's this horrible gang rape sequence. And it's like, wow. Really ruined all the goodwill you brought with this movie, didn't you? Yeah, that, that's... And it's so, like, it's such, like, an edgelord thing, that film. That's the kind of thing that I'm saying, yeah. It's, like, it, it's so hard to do this well and mean something by it. So when it is done well and it something is like meant by it and it's done because it's not tasteful, you can't really call it tasteful, can you? But it's yeah, this is the opposite. Of yeah, taste. Exactly. it's with purpose. With purpose, that's the thing. With purpose, yeah, it it does affect you even more than just that like edgy. Now there's a horrifying rape scene kind of thing. Like it's done with purpose, so it actually really makes you feel like shit. Like. Oh, oh, absolutely, totally. Uh, it's, as um, 
Cecilia Saeed, again, I was pulling shit from my dissertation for this. It's, she said she got it a, a direct form of social commentary, um, the film. It's just such a blunt and direct film. And it, it doesn't outstay its welcome. It's 82 minutes, doesn't need to be any shorter, doesn't need to be any longer. It's pretty great um, at what it does. Yeah, I'd definitely go. I'd obviously agree with that as well. And I think we should probably... Now we've talked about the horrifying stuff and it talk about the censorship that happened with this film then because, oh my God, is there a lot? Oh, we are such a fucking stupid country. Uh, we are, if you haven't worked out by now, we're from the UK because everything we talk about is very UK centric, but like, we're insane. Okay, so 1974, so the film is made 1973 and released in the US then. 1974 refused outright classification, obviously, for its uh, sadism, <laughs> yes. that's the reason yeah. given. Right, then video nu- video tapes come in. Last House and Left released on video, and then it's instantly banned as a video nasty. It's a film that can be prosecuted if you try and sell it. Like you know, it's uh-huh. it's heroin. It's, it's treated the same yeah, as like class yeah. A fucking drugs. Um, then this is the bit that really shocked me because yeah, that's obviously it was put again in the year two thousand for classification, banned again. This film from nineteen seventy three. Banned. That's the insane part, yeah. Um, some councils were like, what the fuck? Um, so it played um, without BBFC certification and they had to get permission from each council. So Southampton Council and Leicester Council allowed it to be shown. But that was how the release went in 2000. Yeah, I, that's, that's um, crazy. It's crazy. It's insane. And then they placed it in 2003 for home release again. And they cut out 16 seconds and they went to appeal because they were like, hold on, this is getting a lot of critical evaluation as being a really important work. You know, we're going to take it to appeal and we're going to get Mark Kermode, my favorite film critic, a very big defender of this film and defender of the horror genre to defend this film. And then they double the cuts after appeal and it's released in 2003 with 31 seconds taken out. It's so petty. It's such a petty... (laughs) it's absolutely it's ridiculous and what do those fucking 31 seconds do because arguably the last thing you want to do to this film is make it less horrendous yes exactly that's the thing cutting originally 16 seconds then 31 like what were they that was worse than the half an hour of horrific rape and torture like obviously it was part of that but like it's some shots it's some shots from the rape and the and the forced urination yeah yeah um you know abrupt cuts making but like you this is meant to be shocking there's nothing erotic about the film and the last thing you'd want to do is make it less horrible to watch that's going to make the film more damaging and more nasty than it is if it's properly horrendous yeah exactly that's what a lot of the censorship in movies fail to understand with a lot of what these movies are trying to portray is when they cut some shit, it actually makes the movie worse for people watching it. Like people will get like not understand what it's trying to say. If you cut something. Exactly. And like, I mean, we, when we were talking about cannibal Holocaust a couple of weeks back, we were saying, Oh, it's animals. You can't do it. This is, 
consenting actors who are adults making an 18 rated film because there should be an 18 rating. So, you know, it's adults buying this film. It's adults involved in it. I see fucking nothing in this that should warrant any kind of board going. And it's a horrendous film. We keep going on. It's, It's like horrific. But I see nothing in this that warrants any kind of, you know, government body going, right, we're cutting this out. Especially in the year 2000. Like, come on. That's the thing. We're not talking. When we talked about Cannibal Holocaust and stuff, this is the 70s and the 80s. Like, this was 2000 we're talking about when this happened, where much worse, more horrific stuff had come and gone by this point, easily. And, like, this is, you know... It was past uncut in 2008, and I remember when I was looking for a DVD of this, find, working out which <laughs> copies were uncut was actually kind of maddening because the runtimes are the exact same on everything. And, like, you know, the remake, which I, I don't think either of us have seen, but, like, no. the remake was meant to be really horrific, and that had been out, and I believe that's uncut. And you just think, like, uh-huh, it's, it's so petty it's not petty it's misguided it's it's you know a very weird conservative thing to be doing to a film from 1973 yeah definitely and always a big fan of uh, the uh the story of commode coming in to defend it as well i just love that he did that like <laughs> well like at the time a lot of um wes craven said that they had to keep restoring prints they got back from cinemas because so many cinemas kept splicing stuff out themselves. <laughs> oh, wow. Because it was so horrendous. Just like, that's so Cinema Paradiso or something. That is, I did not know that. Like, that is quite amazing. <laughs> it, it's, it's, we're a mad country, aren't we? Oh. We're really mad. We are insane. The fact that, it, it just blows my mind that it was 2000 when I was reading that, like, like you said, we keep saying it. This is not an easy to sit through movie. So I get, I I get the cuts in seventy even because like it's just what happened, really, isn't it? It's what went down. But in two thousand, for God's sake, <laughs> and like no one is watching this who isn't you know aware of its history. It's like. Um, one of our episodes idea is going to be Gestapo's last orgy and that's there fucking purely because <laughs> it was just banned recently again and I've not seen that film I don't know what's in it or anything like that but like anyone getting that is like an exploitation fan you're not having kids in the year 2000 purchase a copy of ni- of The Last House on the Worst from 1973 and certainly if they do and they put in the DVD they're turning this off in 20 minutes because of how terrible <laughs> that's it that's the looks. thing I don't think this is going to go like TikTok famous. I don't think they're going to start doing TikTok. <laughs> I don't think they're going to start doing TikToks of Last House on the Left anytime soon. Like, it, it... I'm going to be the next Mary. I'm so like her. <laughs> I too like ice cream and Alice Cooper. Oh my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> All the kids being like, you got to check Last House on the Left out. I mean, this is, it's a very, very, very good film. Um, I guess final thoughts. Oh, before final thoughts, best horror tagline ever. Prove me wrong. Oh, I don't think I can. Like it's um, just keep repeating yourself. It's only it's a only movie. A movie. It's only yeah. a movie. It's only a movie. That is exploitation gold, especially the way it is on the poster with the text getting getting larger or small smaller. I guess it's it's brilliant. I love yeah, that. that is genius. The uh, I've I forgot about that 
I didn't know that was for this movie. I forgot it was Last House on the Left until I looked it up again. And it, because it, that could be like, anybody could use that. Like, it's so clever. It's absolute gold. Like, like you said. It really, it sticks in your head. It really, it really does. And the trailer for Last House on the Left, like, repeats that at the end in this kind of monotonous yeah. voice. That is, that is how you market your exploitation film, right? Well, there. Wes Craven's always been a genius marketer as well, to be fair. If you think about the way he's marketed, like, um, Nightmare and Scream as well, same kind of stuff. Wes Craven is, I don't want to say underrated, but people pass him over. People just sort of go, oh yeah, Wes Craven exists. Wes Craven is a very good filmmaker. I know he's made his fair share of rubbish, but he is, his good stuff is excellent. That's the thing, it did make a lot of, not to be mean, a lot of shit. But it's, (laughs) (laughs) it's fantastic stuff, it's just the greatest, like literally the best. What was that? Did he, was it called My Soul to Take? It was like in 3D. Oh, I remember My Soul to Take, yeah. God. So, I, I, that's the first time I've remembered that film in a decade. Uh, but yeah, uh, final thoughts, Dom? Yeah, I mean, generally from where I started, it's a good film that has a lot of flaws, but you can look past so many of them for the themes that this movie creates and if you're going to watch it and you've just listened to this and not watched it before it is a hell of a hard watch but get through it because it is a fantastic film and it is like it is literally extreme movie royalty like it is where it's the royalty of extreme movies basically I think when people think of extreme cinema and extreme horror and exploitation films this is one of the first thing that pops into most people's heads yeah absolutely I I completely echo your sentiment. It is poorly directed. It is poorly edited. The tone's a mess. The writing is lacking at points. But go into this if you want really depressing, really horrific, but go into this and, and watch it as this massive, massive cynical piece about America and about America in, in the early 70s and how terrible everything was, how terrible everyone was feeling this film captures that in such a raw fucking way and it is it is like the along with night of the living dead i would say this is sort of the horror artifact um of that era in a political sense absolutely like this isn't living dead level it's not as good as night of the living dead but it is on that level in terms of politically motivated horror absolutely yeah so Right. Uh, do you want to say what we're doing next oh, week, Dom? I would Dom? love to. This is the <laughs> in a completely different contrast to this week. <laughs> the most out there thing we've done so next far. Next week's episode will be uh, Necromantic. And if you've never what? heard of that film, just just wait. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> York Budgerites. Like, we want to talk about things that fucking shocked people. This this shit was shocking, and this is like also a very like dirty, grimy, horrific film. Yep. I'm excited. I haven't seen this in a while, so I'm I'm very excited to watch it again. And I'm excited to see it. Right. Oh yeah, I've you've not seen, seen it. it once. Oh, we're gonna have a great discussion. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, take care, and we'll see yep. you next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Extreme Cinema Podcast with Alexander Sternberg and Dom Loach. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing as it really helps us out. The original artwork for the podcast was done by George Arnold. The Extreme Cinema Podcast, available where all good podcasts are available.